The Fan. Ezekiel 25, 17. The path of the righteous man is beset on all sides by the inequities of the selfish and the tyranny of evil men. Blessed is he who in the name of charity and goodwill shepherds the weak through the valley of darkness. For he is truly his brother's keeper and the finder of lost children. And I will strike down upon thee with great vengeance and furious anger those who attempt to poison and destroy my brothers. And you will know my name is the Lord when I lay my vengeance upon thee. to Sunday Sermons on the Fan. I'll pause for a moment for the inevitable letdown for all of you listening going, oh God, really? My favorite Sunday morning show is is being kidnapped by Sinekin? Where's Barrero today? I don't know where Dan is. He's taking the day off. Much deserved. He's still down about the men's soccer team and maybe just can't face talking about it. I don't know, but I'm happy to be here. I'm the head cheese. Dave Sinekin piloting a one-hour tour of Sunday sermons today, getting you set for Vikings football Sunday at the top of the hour at 10 o'clock for a massive, massive game at U.S. Bank Stadium. The New York football Jets in town with their feisty defense and their popular backup quarterback, and the uh, Vikes playing their third straight home game. We will certainly preview the big one at U.S. Bank here before we are done, as well as a very, for me, fascinating slate of Week 13 games. There's been, I think, a couple clunker weekends lately. No such clunkers today. There's a really interesting slate of games, and we will we'll chat about them during this hour uh, as we get you set for Vikings football today. Uh, but a very active day of sports to um, talk about yesterday. I guess we'll go in chronological order and then begin with the U.S. men's soccer team, and I will lean on Uh-oh. executive producer Brett Blakemore, who lives and dies this stuff, uh, certainly much more than I. I was um, I was at the Minnetonka High School football team banquet mm. during the men's soccer game, and I'll quickly pause and proud papa moment. Son Dylan received uh, maybe the most meaningful scholarship awarded at the banquet from the uh, McNulty family who 
tragically lost their son a couple years ago and have established a scholarship for um, a player who has the traits that they remember in his son. And, and my son Dylan won that award. So I was being proud Papa, uh, watching uh, him win that and, and reliving a, a fun Minnetonka football high school season and missed uh, the entire U.S. men's soccer game against the Netherlands. My understanding is this is kind of one of those deals where you get to the the 16 or the the knockout round. Yeah. And everything else is gravy when it comes to the U.S. men's soccer. There, there were no real expectations, were there? Um, well, first of all, I'm disappointed because I was told we would be making history and do the first two-hour Packer preview. And I guess that's oh. not happening. So Yeah, the, the 4-8 four, four squad certainly deserves oh, all the yeah. time Why wouldn't we? You know, that's can, my favorite joke. Can they make. lose 8 of 9? Yeah. Can it happen? Yeah. Um, yeah, that's the bar of success typically. But I would argue that was the bar of success for a team that was mainly full of guys that were older from the MLS who weren't good enough to break into the European leagues, the Premier League, all that, where this team start yesterday, they started two MLS players, but they really out of their 26 names had nine people from the MLS and only one of them was really a starter. The rest of them played in those big European leagues against the best of the best week in week out. I think the expectations were higher and I was really disappointed that, you know, you play an England team, the most expensive team in the world, um, as far as if you wanted to buy them, you know, it's not trades in Europe. They, you you buy players. In, it's uh, transfers. Um, if you want to buy them, they're the most expensive team in the world. And they shut them down defensively. Mm. They they were terrific in their own zone. Um, and just none of that was present yesterday. There was no marking. Um, guys just wide open in the box. Um, no defensive structure or communication guys that have been hustling the entire tournament were jogging. It just felt like, I don't know if, if, uh, if they gave up or if they thought they were there, we did our job, we got out of the group and, or if it was just that, you know, the Netherlands, they have a lot of good players. Um, but yeah, it was really disappointing. There are a few chances the U S could have taken offensively, but here's the thing. The good news is that uh, the second youngest team in the entire field. Um, they will all be 26, 27, 28 in four years' time when the World Cup is here during the summer, during the sports abyss, uh, and it will take over. If you thought you were sick of it and sick of me talking about the World Cup now, just wait until 2026 when there's nothing going on, and I'm sure the Twins probably won't be fighting for a for a World Series championship then. Maybe they will, but uh, it will be non-stop world cup in four years time here is it in egan where, where are they playing they're they're playing all over um in there's some games in canada some games in mexico but the vast i think 80 percent is in the u.s uh minneapolis did not put in a bid to host a game oh really did, didn't even try they're like eh, who cares well is it I think the closest is kansas city to us off the top of my head can they play indoors like could they have played at the bank it just needs to be grass oh it so, needs to be grass. so you would have to have Field. You don't want to play outdoors in December, right? I mean, I think that's not giving the world the best look. Well, it? that well, the tournament's typically held in the summer. They changed it this time because it was in Qatar in the Middle East where it's 120 uh, oh, during the summer. You probably have known that, right? Well, but they, so they moved it. But typically it's in the summer okay. during the sports abyss. So well, nothing be, will uh, be going on. It'll be nice and sunny everywhere you play. Well, I mean, the Wolves yeah. will be ready to hoist their third straight banner. By 2026, so Hang I mean on. they'll still be playing in late June. I threw a yeah, I threw a curveball at you there. Yeah, I wasn't ready for that. Yeah, 
That just shows you I don't throw out too many of those because you would have had that ready. Oh, if, yeah. If, if you knew that might be coming. Um, all right, but one final thing. So you say in four or five years they'll be older, more veteran, more ready to compete. But what if they're all in the MLS and they don't play in the World Cup? Could it be another young batch of guys four years from now as well? I mean, I don't think that's even – all the guys are going over to Europe right now. And all of our young guys that are the prospects that really the U.S. is using the MLS as their development eight, around 17, 18, 19, and then they ship them off to to somewhere in Europe to to play against the best of the best. It, the MLS still at time is – is a uh, retirement league. You see rumors of uh, Lionel Messi uh, coming to Inter-Miami, and they may or may not play at Allianz Field this next summer. Mm. I'm definitely going to drop some coin to see Messi play against the Loons later if that happens. But uh, to, to me, all these guys are playing in the biggest clubs in the world over there, and they'll just be four years more experienced and more veteran um, but those be them prime though. It won't be like thirty year olds or you know thirty five year olds sure. that hanging on. I mean twenty eight, twenty nine, twenty seven. Those are your your prime years, and uh, I think the U.S. team will be in a really good spot then. All right, so we can move on though from the World Cup. At least thank you, thank well, you for that. Most of us that don't, you know, it's not on our bucket list. Um, we'll move on, and as long as you're on a roll, because everybody was active yesterday. Let's let's chat wild quickly as well okay. because they've won three in a row and they win a shootout. With your guy Kaprizov oh. setting the game into overtime and then winning the shootout against the Ducks uh, again, matinee affair. Um, didn't see a lick of it. I'm not going to make an what? excuse. Thought it was a matinee. Oh, oh my gosh! Um, I don't know if it overlapped exactly with the Big 12 championship game, but I was riveted on that game, which we'll talk about in a bit. So, um, tell me about your favorite hockey team. Uh, getting that third straight win and doing it in shootout fashion. Yeah, I don't think it overlapped. Maybe it overlapped a little bit, but um, Kaprizov's just a superstar, man. I mean, he is just so good. And every time I see the Ducks come up on the wild schedule, I audibly, uh, because every game of theirs, most like 90% of the time is just so boring. And the Ducks play, they have a few really bright young uh, players, Trevor Zegras, uh, Troy Terry, but and they have a really solid goalie. Uh, in Gibson. Other than that, it's lock it down and just play grind it out hockey. And most of the time, for whatever reason, you know, the Wild have teams like the Canadiens where they, no matter how bad the Wild are and how good they are or vice versa, they always just smoke the Canadiens every time. I don't know what it is, and it's the exact opposite with the Ducks. It's always closer than it needs to be, regardless of how good or bad either squad is. And, uh, and it was, again, I that move in the I don't know if you even saw any of the highlights or any footage, but Caprice that I didn't think so. Uh, Kaprizov's move um, in the shootout, I'm still gushing over. Mm. I mean, it was just so smooth, and he he just makes it look so easy. Um, yeah, I'm fired up, and uh, Gustafson was in the net too, so Flurry wasn't even in there for that. If hopefully they can build a little bit of confidence, I would still because I have to. I'm legally obligated to bring up that Marco Rossi should be up here at some point. Um, I don't care. He needs to have more minutes. Um, you gotta, it's a chicken and an egg when young players, you either instill the confidence in them and then they get more minutes or you give them more minutes to give them that confidence and say, you're my guy. Even if you're struggling, I'm going to give you these minutes because I believe in you type thing. And I don't think Dean ever did, to be honest. Um, Ryan Reeves, a guy who's a, you know, a fighter got, more ice time in his first game than Rossi did in his 14 of his 16 games. 
I mean, that goes uh, that goes to tell you everything you need to know. It, I don't think Dean put the confidence in him. I think that's why he's down in Iowa. But then again, you got to go out with those minutes and, oh, you got to prove on that fourth-line role that you can score. I just think it's a, that part was a joke. But regardless, they're winning, so I don't care. Three in a row, uh, three in a row for Mike Yo. Is that what we used to go with? Uh, yeah, three in a row for Boudreaux, for Mike Yo, for Dino, all that. Never does get old. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, all right, bad for the U.S. men's team, good for the Wild, and then there's the Wolves. Uh, when we come back, we'll chat about the dumpster fire that was the uh, night at Target Center. Uh, we'll chat about the latest on the Wolves. Uh, the college football playoff, that'll be announced here in about less than two hours. Uh, I think we kind of know how it's going to go, but, yeah, I mean, a curveball could be thrown. We'll talk about what happened in college football yesterday and last night. The Gophers opened their Big Ten season this afternoon at Purdue in about as tough a spot as you could ask. And, of course, the Vikings, the Jets, the Packers, the Bears, Chiefs, Bengals, Titans, Eagles, Deshaun Watson. There's so much to get to between now and 10 o'clock. Glad to have you with us and glad to be in the big chair. It's Sunday Sermons. And the fan. Sunday Sermons brought to you by JTR Roofing. Sunday sermons on the fan. Sinekin in for Barrero today. Relax. Just a one-hour tour. You got Vikings football, top of the hour. Vikings football Sunday at 10. The Jets are in town for what I think is a really intriguing matchup for the Minnesota Vikings, and we'll talk about that and all things NFL in our next and final segment. Your Minnesota Timberwolves coming off a spirited win Catless win over the Memphis Grizzlies, the hated Memphis Grizzlies on Wednesday night, a game where they had Memphis puzzled, frustrated. They had guys getting ejected, Brooks and Ja. And, of course, could they follow that up at home with the bottom-feeding OKC Thunder? Of course not. And in this instance, it was the Wolves that were the frustrated players getting ejected team on their home court against a team that would just as soon lose and get in the victor sweepstakes. But this is what the Wolves are this year. And again, I, I'll, truth in advertising, I did not see the game. Went out for dinner last night with the wife and another couple. A nice meal in Excelsior. Didn't see a minute of the game. Saw the score when I got home and just shook my head. Watched the highlights. Read Johnny Athletics piece this morning. And all I can say is I'm supremely happy I did not devote two and a half hours of my life to watching that game last night. Rudy Gobert became the player we've all been booing for years. He's been the, the villain so often. Not just watching him when he played for the Utah Jazz, but even internationally. You know, it's just another guy that played against the U.S., and so you rooted against him. And in this, this stretch of games where Cat is out, and so Gobert is really being looked at as a guy that maybe needs to provide a bit more of an offensive punch as well as the defensive chops, to lose his cool last night and 
lift his leg to trip Kenrich Williams, thus getting himself ejected early in the second quarter is inexcusable for a guy that's been around as long as he has. And this guy needs to be a leader on this team. I know he's new, but he's a veteran. He's got all the hardware for all he's done in this league. He cannot get ejected in the early second quarter for tripping a player. You're frustrated. You got tangled up. You're on the floor. Deal with it. And it was just a symptom in what was kind of a disease-like performance last night. Five technicals. Ant got ejected as well. The charge call on Ant was ridiculous. It gets looked at, and they still don't see the defender sliding under him. All right, the officiating was bad. It, it's it's something you just got to deal with. You can't lose your cool. 23 turnovers leading to 34 points. And a defense that is now allowed more than 135 points in three of its last four games. And this is not your high-flying thunder with Westbrook, Durant, and Harden. I checked the box score. None of those guys still play for the thunder. This is Gilgis Alexander and Josh Giddy, and, and that group of some nice young promising players, but they're like the 22nd best offensive team in the league. And they did whatever they wanted against a Wolves team that just can't get out of its own way. 11-12 and 12 now for the season, spinning its wheels. You look good one day, you look lousy the next. And Coach Finch talked about a maturity problem. Now, you're 23 games into the season, and your team's not made up of a bunch of 16-year-olds. It's on the coaches to make sure your team is mature and ready. When you're at home on a Saturday night against the OKC Thunder, you win that game. And if you don't win that game, what are we doing? And what should reasonable expectations be? All I know is, and I watched highlights, when Jordan McLaughlin's playing for this team, they're fun. They look energized. They look like they know what they're doing. And when he's off the court, they look like a completely different team. And, you know, I, I remember Double T, Trent Tucker said it before the season, over the summer, like, make McLaughlin the starter. Let him be the starting point guard of this team. He showed enough in the Memphis series. Just see what he can do. Give him that chance. But that's not how things work. It's meritocracy. It's contracts. What do you, what's D'Lo's head going to be like if he's coming off the bench and McLaughlin start? You know, this team needs a shakeup, and I don't know if that's a, a huge one, but that kid deserves more minutes. And at 11 and 12, we're going to, however this thing turns out, we're going to look back at a number of games and go that one and that one and that one. Well, this is going to be one of those games. You don't lose at home to OKC, especially after you just beat Memphis. String a couple of wins together. Show what you got. Very disappointing. Uh, on the subject of basketball, the Big Ten gets kind of cooking here this week. They always tease us with a couple games in December. And then you got to wait through the, the holiday games and all that. And then you get back in January. And if you listen to me over the years, you know I love Big Ten basketball. I went to Indiana. Was very excited about my squad's win over Carolina Wednesday and was very nervous about Rutgers. And, of course, they got pounded by Rutgers, a team they've now lost to six straight times inexplicably. But that's the Big Ten. And top to bottom, it's, it's, it's a grind when you're on the road. And for the Gophers, they have about as difficult a road test today as they will have the entire Big Ten season. And I don't think I would, I would not have said that a week ago or whatever, 10 days ago. I think Purdue started the week ranked 25th. 
I think they were unranked to start the season. They still have the big seven foot four guy, Zach Eady, who looks exactly like their mascot. I think he doubles as the mascot, actually. He's been unguardable so far. And not a bad week for Purdue. They go to this tournament out in, I think it was the Nike tournament out in Oregon. They had to play Gonzaga and Duke. <laughs> and they beat them by a combined 37 points. Think about that. Matt Painter does not get the credit he deserves. And I know it goes down to the March, you know, lack of success maybe in the big games in March. But you have a week where you knock off Gonzaga and Duke by a combined 37 points. You're doing something right. And they jump from 25 to number five in the country. And they are 7-0. and And they're at Mackey today. And here comes Ben Johnson's Gophers, who look nothing like a team ready to deal with what Purdue is going to give them. This is going to be a... Frankly, I think a really ugly, an ugly day for the Gophers. I, I don't know how they compete with this team that's so battle tested, and what they do with Zach Eady in the middle. And Dawson Garcia has been dealing with an illness and missed practice a bit this week. Uh, it's, it's not a, a fun start for the Big Ten season. Gophers will return home. I think it's Thursday against Michigan, and that'll be an interesting one because the Wolverines have been just sort of the opposite. They were highly regarded. I think they were preseason top twenty or at least ranked. And they have struggled. Uh, Jawan Howard's club has struggled. They lost a couple guys to the draft. So that'll be interesting to see how the Gophers come back from whatever the Boilers do to them today. And I'm not trying to be a Debbie Downer here, but Brent, look and see what the line is, would you, on uh, Gophers-Purdue today? I have to think Purdue is a 15-point favorite. I mean, I just, it's kind of a mismatch. The Gophers are in a far different place trying to build this program uh, to be a team that can compete for tournament appearances, and they might be a year or two away. Purdue is rock solid, and that that place is always tough to win. The seven and zero Boilers. It's a four o'clock tip off uh, with Gopher or sorry with Vikings fan line probably going on at that time. Uh, we will carry the Gophers game on our sister station AM eleven thirty KTLK today. What do you think it was? About fifteen or so. Purdue Boilermakers are 19 and a half yeah. point favorites. Not surprised. Yeah, I'm not surprised. It's it's a mismatch. Uh, let's just see if they can compete. And uh, it's obviously a good test. It's a tough test. Big Ten's going to be a tough test. You got to play. You know, there's so many good teams on the top this year. Whether you look at Indiana and and obviously Purdue and Illinois and Maryland, Michigan State, um, Iowa looks good. It's it's going to be a grind and it's going to be a tough one today. Again, four o'clock tip-off there. Meanwhile, college football. Championship games. I was riveted by the end of the uh, Big 12 championship. I alluded to it earlier. I don't know if any of you saw it. The K-State TCU game where TCU comes in ranked third, knowing that a win secures them a spot in the playoff. A loss, you know, a tight loss probably keeps them in it. We'll talk about that in a minute. But I've never seen a guttier, I probably have, but I don't remember it, a guttier performance by quarterback Max Dugan for TCU. I don't know if you saw it. Fourth quarter, he led a drive where they went about 80-some yards where he ran every single play. I think he had four or five runs, including like a 45-yard run. This is not a Justin Fields-type quarterback here. This is not Josh Allen. This is not a guy that that lives on his legs. But he, he ran down that field on K-State and... Punched in a score. 
and was so exhausted they kind of had to carry him off the field. Like it was the final minute of the game and in regulation. And um, just a gutty performance. That he had nothing left in the tank. His arms bleeding. I was just so impressed. And his post-conference, uh, press conference after the game was so impressive. I didn't make enough plays. They lost, in case you didn't hear it, in overtime. When they took the ball first, it got to the goal line, third and goal from the one. First they checked to see if the running back got in. He just missed by, it looked like he missed by inches, but they put the ball just inside the one. And they tried to run it with that running back two more times and got stuffed. K-State stuffed him at the goal line. So K-State takes over, kicks a field goal, wins the game. So TCU falls by three in overtime. We know Southern Cal got pounded by Utah. That knocked them out of the playoffs. Going into this week, as you probably know, it was Georgia 1, Michigan 2, TCU 3, and Southern Cal 4. Ohio State 5, and 2 loss Alabama 6. So Southern Cal's loss likely moves Ohio State into the number four spot. And then TCU plays, and they lose in overtime to a team they had already beaten. They came into this game undefeated. They lost their championship game. Obviously, Ohio State and Alabama did not have games to play. They were sitting on their couch watching. So for my money, TCU stays right where it is. They stay number three. If they had lost, and they were down by 10 or 11 at one point. If they had lost by double figures, I could have a conversation about either moving them to four or knocking them out. But I think going undefeated, losing your championship game in overtime to a team you've already beaten, a top 10 team or 11, whatever K-State was ranked, 10 or 11, no harm, no foul. For me, it stays Georgia, Michigan, TCU. And if Ohio State was ranked fifth going in and Bama was sixth and neither one of them played, then Ohio State gets that fourth spot which would set up Ohio State-Georgia in one semifinal and Michigan-TCU in the other. Part of me just would have loved to have seen TCU just get destroyed, right? And so now Ohio State gets the three spot and Bama gets the four, probably, with two losses. And then your semifinals are Georgia-Alabama and Michigan-Ohio State. That would have been epic all-time ratings just for fans as good as it gets Uh, for those fans that don't live in Texas and don't cheer for TCU or obviously Southern Cal, but there's no way two lost Bama team leapfrogs Ohio state. And I know that caller Pete, a Buckeye aficionado agrees with me. Pete, uh, do you imagine that shortly after 11 o'clock today that uh, your Buckeyes will be awarded the fourth playoff spot and will face Georgia on new year's Eve? No doubt about it, but you know, I was, I was sorry to see that you missed the show yesterday. I'm so happy to hear you today because Thanks. on the show yesterday, they were talking about how Alabama should leapfrog Ohio state. I kid you not. And, and then Saban's on ESPN talking about, well, you know, we deserve it because we finished strong. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and when we lost these games, we had injuries. Well, everybody has injuries. Ohio state was down to their third or fourth string running back in the Michigan game. Their best receiver hasn't played all season, Smith and Jigway. You know, who doesn't have injuries and Oh yeah. Nick finished strong. He beat Austin P and five and seven Auburn. Yeah. Really, really, really tough down the stretch, Nick. Um, you know, you're right. You're absolutely right. You nailed it. Ohio state goes to four. And, uh, and, but I would love to see them play Michigan because that game last Saturday drew 17 million viewers. And you were talking about a noon Eastern kickoff, so that's 9 a.m. on the West Coast. 
17 million people watch that game. Imagine what they get on New Year's Eve. What happened to your team in the second half of that game? I was just flummoxed and flabbergasted. Michigan's without their best running back, and they just they didn't just beat you guys in the second half. They embarrassed you with those long runs. Well, it's, it's, like, I, it's like I've said many times on this show, the best football quote of all time is by the great Vince. He said, football is blocking and tackling. The rest is mythology. They didn't tackle. If you're yeah. not going to tackle the running back, you're going to get hosed. I don't care. You know, you could talk about great quarterbacks, great receivers, great running backs. It all comes down to the line of scrimmage. It always has and it always will. Yeah, you're right about that. Uh, thanks for checking in. And I do think your Buckeyes absolutely deserve uh, certainly to get in over Alabama. And I'll tell you what, Ohio State, Georgia, I mean, Georgia will be a big favorite, but C.J. Stroud, you know, against that Georgia defense, that's must-watch TV for me. Uh, watching uh, that quarterback for Georgia, who's like 30 years old, going up against that Buckeye D, uh, that'll be fun. So I think we'll see two Big Ten teams in the playoff. That gets announced here shortly after 11 this morning. Uh, one final note, uh, emailer Ron checks in to remind us that that TCU quarterback, Max Dugan, I was gushing about, is from Council Bluffs, Iowa. So he's almost one of us. Well, we'll take it. I was so impressed. I mean, if you haven't seen highlights, you should watch what that kid did on this one drive. I was, it was jaw-dropping to see the kid uh, just with nothing left in the tank uh, go up and down the field. All right, we'll come back. Final segment, week 13 of the National Football League. Love the matchups today. Can't wait to talk Vikings-Jets. And uh, I will give you my three underdog picks of the day. I'm on fire this year with my underdog picks uh, at zonecoverage.com. We'll chat about that as well. The NFL is on my mind as we wrap up Sunday sermons. On the fan. It's 940. It's the final segment. Today's edition of Sunday Sermons. Senekin in for Barrero today, taking you up to the top of the hour. Vikings football Sunday is next. Two hours to get you set for one of the marquee games on the week 13 slate. The third consecutive home games for the Purple. Who welcome in uh, Robert Sala's New York football Jets, one of the Surprise stories, I would say, of, of this football season. There have been so many. If you go back to August and what we thought was going to happen and what has transpired, and obviously it can start with my team and the Rams, and even to a lesser extent the Buccaneers, who are in such a putrid division that they're still in it. But then the surprise teams like the, the Seahawks, even the Falcons have you know, stayed in contention longer than we thought, and the Dolphins and and Eagles with their quarterbacks and the Jets, despite not getting much out of their quarterback who they drafted so high a year ago, and now having turned to Mike White, a popular backup among the players, certainly among the fans. And he was very good last week in his first start against the Bears, and that's, I guess, maybe to be expected because Chicago right now is a, a shell of itself defensively, having traded two of their best defenders during the season and Roquan Smith and Robert Quinn losing their best safety, Eddie Jackson, and now their entire cornerback room is basically out with concussions. And that played into the Jets 
hands of just dinking and dunking and, and moving the ball up and down the field. And that that kind of plays into where I think that the Vikes may have a bit of a problem today. Because, again, you look at matchups. You don't look at records and quarterbacks and, and all that necessarily. You look at, at the matchups. And I, I do think the Jets pose a bit of a matchup problem for the Purple in that they do live off the short passing game. And the Vikings defensively rank 31st when it comes to defending the short passing game. And you all know the the problems at cornerback and the injuries outside of the fine play of the ageless Patrick Peterson. There are obviously concerns on the back end of the defense. And the Jets like to, to find their young receivers in space. Garrett Wilson looks like a star suddenly with Mike White at quarterback. Elijah Moore has a life. These are high draft picks at wide receiver that haven't shown much for the Jets, a team that lost its its rookie running back, Brees Hall, weeks ago, but are still able to, to move the ball on the ground. But they are led by their defense. And that front four is going to give Kirk Cousins some problems up the middle. The interior Vikings defensive line has to be ready for this defense and what it can do. And then on the back end, they've got two really good corners. So whether their fine top five pick Sauce Gardner travels around with Justin Jefferson and what could be a really fun matchup to watch, or whether they play the Vikings straight up and believe both their corners can at least do enough to contain J.J., which obviously has not been the case in the last couple weeks for the Vikings' mercurial receiver. It's... It might be the toughest game left on the Vikings schedule. You could argue next week in Detroit, which I think is also going to be tricky. Lions are plucky. And we saw them on Thanksgiving against Buffalo, give them everything they wanted. And, you know, they get Jacksonville today, and I think they're going to beat Jacksonville. They're going to come in with a head of steam. And I don't know if you saw, they activated their rookie receiver, Jamison Williams, the, the former, you know, star who has been dealing with the ACL injury who they traded with the Vikes to be able to draft. And maybe that's where they debut Jamison Williams next Sunday against the Purple, along with Amon St. Brown. So the Lions are no joke. That's going to be tricky next week. It's always tough to go in Detroit. I get that. But as far as the most talented team left on the schedule, with apologies to my favorite team, this is the toughest team, the toughest roster, I think, the Vikings have left on their schedule. Um, I'm not saying they're going to lose, but I wouldn't at all be surprised if they do lose this one, I just think that's a physical, tough team that's tough to run on, gets pressure up the middle. And then Kirk, okay, it's a noon kickoff. That's a point in his favor. Okay, I've seen him in prime time. He looked really good on Thanksgiving. Not going to rip the guy for the his past primetime transgressions, as easy as that is. He's usually rock solid at noon. He'll have a full house, full-throated Viking fans. The skull chant will be out, obviously, all day long, but... Man, the Jets team is no joke. I'm, I'll be, I'll be going back and forth. I'm obviously going to watch my team, you know, Fields, Rogers, and and that rivalry that that's going to command my attention. But I'm really excited to watch Jets Vikings. You know, the Vikings continue to, you know, from a national perspective, you know, there's still a, the jury's out despite the record, right? Because they're winning close games week in week out. These are one score games. And we saw what happened against Dallas uh, on a big stage. And so a lot of people remember that DVOA, a metric that a lot of uh, football guys look at when it comes to rating teams, 
they rank the Jets as the ninth best team and the Vikings as the 22nd best team. So if you're wondering why are the Vikes only favored by three at home against the Jets, that's disrespect. It's because they do match up pretty well against the Vikes. I think a a touchdown win by the Vikings will be a really big statement today. I think that will mean a lot, and which sounds preposterous. You're playing the Jets at home. Of course you're going to win by seven. No, I, not so fast, my friend. This is a, a tough, tough test, I think, for the purple. That's just not me wearing my green and gold glasses. I've said many times this season, in past seasons, since I was a kid in the 70s when Green Bay was terrible and the Vikes were playing in Super Bowls. You know, if the Packers stink, I'm all for the Purple playing well and going as far as they can. Love to see them win today. But I have to say I'll be a little surprised if they do. And I'll be impressed. However they do it, uh, I think it would be a really impressive win for the Purple today. I don't know what your nervous meter is out there. If you just feel like it's the Jets, you're home, you should take care of business. Just be careful. That offense looked completely revitalized with Mike White, and I understand it was the Bears, but I don't think the Vikes defense is any better right now than than the Bears. Maybe a, a tick better because of all the injuries. It's a very interesting matchup at U.S. Bank Stadium today. It's one of, of a number of really, I think, enticing games on the schedule. Nothing more intriguing, maybe, that only 7% of the country is going to see it's Deshaun Watson's return. I don't know if you saw this on Twitter this morning. NFL mouthpiece Adam Schefter with a typical Schefter piece that the NFL and NFLPA experts say they've seen signs of progress for Deshaun Watson during his mandatory treatment program. We don't know what those signs of progress are. Somebody told Schefter to tweet it on the day that Watson returns after 700 days out. And, of course, the NFL sets it up that Deshaun Watson returns to play the Houston Texans, the team that traded him to Cleveland. It's the third time this season that a quarterback's returning to the field to play against the team first that that traded him. Baker Mayfield opened up against Cleveland. Russell Wilson opened up against Seattle. And now Deshaun Watson starts against Houston. Third time this year, only the sixth time in 15 years that's happened. And it's happened three times this year. You know why the NFL suspended him 11 games. It was so they could do this. You know, fun. Look at all the attention we're going to give this game now. Well, no one's going to watch it. It's only going to 7% of the country, as I said. Don't we just want to see Houston destroy Cleveland? The one win Texans? Which leads me to this. I tease this coming, going uh, into the break. I'm writing this year for zonecoverage.com. You can read all my Packer blogs there. There's the head cheese page when you click on the Packer logo. A lot of great writers covering the pack, as well as all the Minnesota teams there at zonecoverage.com. But they've allowed me to write a column this year, a, a, a football gambling column, where I pick three underdogs every week. And my rule is the the team has to be at least a field goal underdog. No, like, one-point, two-point dogs. they got to be at least a three-point dog. And I'll pat myself on the back a little bit, because through 12 weeks, I've had just one losing week. Which is pretty hard to do when you're picking teams like Jacksonville and, you know, uh, lousy teams and, and thinking they're going to rise up. Uh, but I'm 21 and 12 with three ties. And last week, for those that like to either wager on games or just pick, you know, winners and losers against the spread was the ultimate roller coaster because I had Jacksonville and Cleveland early. 
and both teams looked like they were dead with about five minutes left in the game, right? Jacksonville's down a touchdown. They come back and win it straight up, end of the game. Cleveland looks dead against Tampa Bay, fourth and 10, and they hit Njoku for a touchdown, and they beat Tampa Bay. So both of those underdogs end up winning their games. Now I'm thinking, I'm going to go 3-0. and All I need is New Orleans to stay within 10 of, of the Niners. And they lost 13-0 despite being inside the five-yard line like four times. And they couldn't get in the end zone. I'll take my two and one. I probably didn't deserve it. I'll take it. But I, I lead into all that. You can certainly read my three picks at zonecoverage.com. Go to the Packer page right side. You'll see my underdogs, our barking column. I promised myself I wouldn't touch Houston the rest of the way because I think they're in tanking mode. They want the first pick. They have no coach. They, uh, they benched their quarterback. Uh, they were... They were gutty early, but they've been terrible lately. But I put them as one of my three picks today because this is Houston's Super Bowl. They are going to go all out to take out the Cleveland Browns today. I don't understand why the Browns are seven-and-a-half-point favorites on the road in Houston with a quarterback who has not been on a football field in nearly two calendar years. He hasn't practiced that much with these guys. He Granted, now, the game plan's handed Nick Chubb 50 times probably against Houston, see if they can stop him. But this is the one time Houston fans are going to come out in earnest. They are going to be loud. They are going to boo Deshaun Watson mercilessly. And I think Houston stays within a touchdown of the Cleveland Browns today. That's one of my three picks. I'll give you my other two. I hope you'll check out my reasonings. But I also like Tennessee in Philly today, an Eagles team that's looked more than mortal the last three games, right? The loss to Washington, the one-point comeback against the Colts, and then despite the fact that Green Bay basically sat down and let them run all over them and their quarterback ran for 100 yards in the first quarter, um, they're going to have a much tougher test against a Mike Vrabel team that travels well. When they're underdogs, they don't lose. I think Vrabel's 5-1 and one this year is a, a dog of more than three points. They're getting four and a half. They're going to keep that close. I wouldn't be surprised if they beat Philly today. It's a well-coached team that knows how to go on the road and beat good teams, and they can run all day on Philly with Derrick Henry. And my other pick is another ugly one on paper. I like the Rams catching seven against Seattle at home. Again, think about what you thought this line would be when the season started. Rams at home against Seattle. Ten? Rams favored by ten, maybe? Eight? They're seven-point underdogs at home. No Aaron Donald, no Matthew Stafford, no Cooper Cup. But who is Seattle to be favored on the road over anybody by a touchdown? Especially a division game against a proud Defending champ that's still got some talent. Granted, their offensive line's a mess. But Seattle's dropped two straight. They've lost five out of six to the Rams, three in a row. I get it. It's a different Rams team. But I'd be very surprised if the Rams can't keep that one close. Seattle does not look like the team they looked like the first eight weeks. So those those are my, my underdog picks today. There are some other great matchups. The other two that I'm really excited to watch are both, unfortunately, late at the same time. Chiefs at Bengals is obviously the marquee matchup today. It doesn't look like Joe Mixon plays for the Bengals. He has not cleared concussion protocol. That hurts. Joe Burrow has beaten Patrick Mahomes the last two times they've played. He's a home underdog today of two and a half. It's a tricky one. I, I know the Chiefs have some injury concerns on defense. I, I kind of like Cincinnati to just kind of keep that mastery over the Chiefs. I still think they're a bit overrated, Kansas City. Mahomes is fantastic. But that defense, I think Jamar Chase is back for Cincinnati, finally. That's a fun one, right? That That's a potential playoff preview. If Kansas City can go into Cincinnati and get a win today, I'll, I'll be impressed and I'll be a bit surprised. 
I think the Bengals have enough to beat them. And then how about Miami at San Francisco? Tua on the road without his two tackles against a Niners team that I think is going to the Super Bowl. I like the Niners today to, to pound the Dolphins and uh, and show a little something. I love Miami, but this is a tough spot for them. It's a great slate of games and maybe nothing more intriguing than Vikings, Jets. That defensive front against the Vikes offensive lines where it's going to be won or lost. Good luck to your purple today, everybody. Stay tuned. Vikings football Sunday is next. Vikings football at noon today. Fan line follows. And go for basketball. Four o'clock tip on our sister station, AM 1130 KTLK. Enjoy a fun week 13 of football. I'll enjoy week 14. I'm going to Vegas next weekend to sit in the Caesars Sportsbook and watch football all day. Oh, good. Happy for you. I can't wait. Uh, but enjoy the games today. Thankful to have this opportunity to sit in this chair for my favorite show on the fan. Stay tuned. Vikings football is next. For Brett Blakemore, I'm Dave Sinek, and Have a great Sunday, everybody.